From coast to coast and around the world, you're going online with Bill Alexander. Online with Bill Alexander is a guest-driven program where the topics are diverse and entertaining. Laugh and learn while you listen to one of the best hours of online radio around. Online with Bill Alexander. Good day, everyone. Yours truly, Bill Alexander, here on another edition of Online with Bill Alexander here at WMCK.FM and also on Fayette TV Channel 77 and also on CUTV, California University of Pennsylvania. Hope everything's going fine for you tonight as we broadcast live from the Phil Giannetti Motor Studios high atop High Street in Brownsville, Pennsylvania. If you're looking for a quality pre-owned vehicle, give Chip a call, 724-785-6800 or stop by his website, philgiannettimotors.com. Anyways, I'm looking forward tonight. I've never had the opportunity to do this because we've always been jam-packed with guests, but I figured tonight we need to take it easy a little bit during this holiday season. So I invited back someone on the program that we've had on the program before by the name of Nell Minow, the movie mom. She's joining us tonight so we can talk about movies. So let's uh, say hello to Nell. Nell, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing just great. I'm very, very happy. And we'll be talking not just about movies and about the movies that are opening up this month for the holiday season, but about some of our favorite holiday classics. And I've got some great ones that people might not know about to talk about. Well, the one question I posted on Facebook tonight, because it's always an argument among men (laughs) in this area, is Die Hard a Christmas film? Of course it is. It's not Christmas until we see the Nakatomi Plaza. And, uh, you know, does it take place at Christmas? Is there Christmas music on the soundtrack? That's all you need to know. Of course it's a Christmas movie. It's a Christmas classic, and it's my daughter's favorite Christmas movie. It's like saying the Eddie Murphy film with Dan Aykroyd, Trading Places, is also a Christmas film. Sure, because somebody wears a Santa suit. (laughs) Or gets drunk in a Santa suit, depending on how you look at it. But again, it's interesting how these movies come out during the holiday season that may not have a true Christmas feel, but they take place during that time period. Yeah, I mean, but listen, uh, Trading Places has got nothing on movies like Bad Santa and uh, all the slasher movies that take place at the Christmas season. I mean, Christmas brings out a lot of different feelings in people. Sort of at one end of the spectrum, you have got the Hallmark movies, which all have exactly the same plot, Yes, uh, which is small town's good, big city's bad, uh, and Christmas is about cookies and singing and trees. There's really no religious element in it whatsoever. Um, And and pretty much everybody's white, you know, and... Uh, I never thought about that, but you're right. I never thought about that. And uh, Listen, and a friend of mine says, and there's always a gazebo. And everybody's got (laughs) incredible kitchens. I mean, everybody. Oh, and all the women, their jobs are either they run an antique store or a bakery. Right. Or they and they or came they, from and they came from ad agencies when they went yeah, back to they that. Came You're from right. Evil, evil ad agencies or real estate developers. There yeah, you go. Exactly. And you know, so you got that at one end, which is kind of the, what I would call the candy cane movie. Uh, which is, you, you know, exactly what you're going to get out of it. And then, you know, you've got movies like uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, you know, which is sort of funny, dysfunctional, and then 
sort of the more serious dysfunctional uh, Christmas movies, and then you've got the ones that are just, you know, I've got to say, kind of evil, <laughs> you know, that that uh, that are, you know, the opposite of the Hallmark movie, and um, and and so there's something for everybody, just like Christmas has got something for everybody. What I think is really interesting, a lot of these movies, and you mentioned uh, Christmas Vacation. When they were originally released in the box office 30, 35, even 70 years ago, they didn't do very well. For example, the Christmas classic we all think about is It's a Wonderful Life. If it yes. wouldn't have been for Ted Turner and TBS, yeah, it would have never caught on. Same with the Christmas story with Ralphie, You'll Shoot Your Eye Out with Peter Billingsley. And now it's on for 24 hours at Christmas and there would be protests in the streets yes. if they put it on for 23 hours. I mean, everybody really cannot wait to see the leg lamp. I, you know, from, from my perspective, the thing that I like the best about a Christmas story, there's a lot of great stuff in it. But my favorite part about it is the very last scene where I think it's not a spoiler at this point to say everything has gone wrong. Yes. And the dog ate the turkey. Yes. And just, you know, it's a complete and total disaster. And they end up going to a Chinese restaurant for Christmas dinner and laughing. And I, to, to me, that is what family is all about, is not when everything is perfect, as it is in the Hallmark movies, but when everything goes wrong and the family just says, this is going to be the story we'll be telling for the rest of our lives and maybe even selling to the movies someday. Now, with, with A Christmas Story, and I didn't realize this until a couple of years ago, someone thought it was a good idea to make a sequel to A Christmas yeah. Story. And I watched it, and it's awful. Yeah, we, we do not speak of it. Because they rehash old jokes that they just can't make them catch. Well, I mean, the the what's unusual is when a sequel is good, and I'm going to be seeing one that I've really got my fingers crossed on uh, this uh, week, which is the Jumanji sequel because I really loved the first one, and which itself, of course, was a kind of a, a remake or right. a reboot. Um, but uh, generally speaking, and you know, we'll put The Godfather to one side for a moment. But generally speaking sequels are not very good and what we see in movies that have got a lot uh you know like star trek movies um generally the second one is not very good and then they sort of figure out what went wrong with the second one and then the third one you know so the odd numbers tend to be better than the even numbers um so it's not surprising that it's kind of a cash grab usually the people who are creative have moved on to their next creative thing and the people who are left um, are trying to figure out what made the first one good, and they're not always successful at that. Speaking of sequels, the one that everybody was talking about was Frozen 2. Mm -hmm. Is it as good as the original? It's hard to say, because part of what made the original so successful was that it was original. I mean, it bore almost no relationship to the story that inspired it, uh, and it was... You know, the characters, the songs, everything was brand new to us. And uh, now everybody's seen that one two billion times, especially <laughs> if you've got children in your house. And so this one is not going to be fresh in the same way. But on the other hand, I thought this was great. I thought uh, it's a little messy. They throw a lot of different stuff at you. But I thought that it was willing to deal with complicated problems in a very accessible way, problems that we all deal with. How do you deal with change? That's a problem that you have your whole life. When you're a child, of course, everything changes dramatically from one day to the next. You don't even know yourself. 
and and how you deal with change, I think, is great. And also, it touches very gently, but I thought in a complex and 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 deep way on the issue of how we deal with past mistakes, mistakes we've made as individuals and mistakes we've made uh, in our country or in our community. How do we deal with that? And I thought that those are two very complicated things. Usually in movies for kids, generally the lesson at the end is be yourself or family is important or friends are important. These are much more complicated topics, and I give Frozen a lot of credit for that. Plus, it's funny, it's romantic, it's smart, and it's gorgeous to look at. So, in other words, it's a film for pretty much everybody from children to adults. That, uh... Yes, and the most important thing that I can tell you about it and I want everyone to pay very careful attention, you need to stay all the way to the end of the credits. I mean, oh my gosh, you know, you almost have time to run out, watch another movie and come back before the end of the credits. But if you do, you will see an extra scene with everybody's favorite character. Olaf. Yeah, I have not seen it yet. I've had I've, uh, people that I've talked to have seen it, especially with their uh, young daughters. Um, mm-hmm. The one thing that they did say to me is the music is not as, in their opinion, is not as good as it was in the first one. I think that's right. There's a very funny song uh, that I like very much. Um, Christoph, who uh, his, you know, is, the voice is one of the great Broadway singers, didn't get to sing at all in the first movie, and he's got a great song in this one. Um, they've tried to kind of recreate Let It Go with uh, a, a song that's, you know, a big belter ballad. Okay. And a lot of people are saying that that's the second best song in the in the movie and that they should be pushing another one for an Oscar nomination. So we'll see. I think that's probably right. But on the other hand, it wasn't until we all heard Let It Go 10 yeah. billion times that it became really popular. And annoying. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, right. that too. Well, one movie that recently came out just before Thanksgiving, which everybody here in southwestern Pennsylvania was on pins and needles when it was released, was A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, the uh, story uh, about Fred Rogers. Pittsburgh, a- And right? I, I want to say something up front. I have not seen it yet, but I'm very reluctant to see it. And the reason is, I grew up with Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. I was two when the program went on the air. And I have recently uh, met, or I've been talking with an author by the name of Amy Hollinsworth, who wrote a book called The Simple Faith of Mr. Rogers. And she's going to be on the program here sometime after the first of the year. And I listened to her and her way of explaining who he was and about the interviews she did. And I'm afraid now that the image that she's created for me is the image I want to keep. But I'm afraid to go see the movie because I don't want to know. I don't want that 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 uh, how I want to put it, that that myth or that legend to be destroyed in what I think Mr. Rogers is supposed to be. Okay, here's why. You don't have to worry about that. Okay. I'm not telling you that you have to see the movie, but here's why that particular worry is not a problem. And I loved the movie. Okay. The filmmakers knew, and I interviewed the guys who wrote the movie, and I interviewed the man who interviewed uh, Mr. Rogers and whose interview with Mr. Rogers and Esquire was the basis for the movie. He became a close friend of Fred Rogers. Right. And they were in touch and corresponded for five years. So, uh, so I interviewed all of them, and, and I congratulated them because, let me tell you something about movies and about stories of any kind, whether it's a book or a play, 
the most important thing you have to have in your story is the main character has got to have some kind of a change. That's what makes it a story. So the main character either has to learn something or lose something or change in some way or grow up in some way. Otherwise, it's not a story. Now, you're not going to get that with Mr. Rogers. He's already at that very elevated place. He's already, no, nobody's saying he's perfect because nobody's perfect. And his wife in the movie says he's not perfect. But he is certainly better than most of us. And you are not going to have him have a dark night of the soul or have some kind of conflict or, you know, that just wasn't who he was. And right. so what they did that I thought was so smart is that they kept the Mr. Rogers character the same Mr. Rogers, whether he's on, you know, on camera or off. He's the same person. He is just who he is. It's about the impact he has on the people around him. Okay. And particularly the stand-in is this journalist who's dealing with a lot of complicated issues, has not resolved his feelings about his father. He's become a father himself for the first time, and you know that really changes your life. And so it's really about uh, about what the impact that Mr. Rogers had on other people. There are a couple of wonderful moments in the movie. Um, there's one, and I spoke, as I said, to the journalist. He told me this really happened. He goes on the on the subway in New York, and you know what the subway's like in New York. It's noisy, it's crowded, it's dirty. You know, you've got every kind of person from every kind of age and, and race and uh, language that they speak, and, you know, they're all crowded together in the same subway car. And so he's just sitting on the subway, and one by one, the people look over at him, and then all of a sudden, all together, they go, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, a beautiful day in the neighborhood, would you be mine? And, and they all start singing to him. And it's just a regular day in his life, because that's the kind of thing that happens. So I said to the journalist, is that really what happens when you walk around New York City with Mr. Rogers? He said, yeah, but it's New York City, so they use words that we don't, let, you know, <laughs> you don't say on the radio, but yes, that does happen. The other thing I want to mention is that there's a scene in the movie that is really striking. It's something you'll ne you'll will never seen in a movie before. You'll never see it in a movie again. And everything just stops for a moment. Mr. Rogers says something and everything just stops. And this happens in a Chinese restaurant. And when that happens, I want you to look around that restaurant because everybody that is sitting at the tables in that restaurant is somebody from the real Mr. Rogers real life. His yeah, wife? His wife. Real Mr. McFeely? Uh, yeah, it was it was interesting because I saw that that clip because I read the article because uh -huh. David David Newell who played Mr. McFeely mentioned that he had a cameo and he 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 talked about that and he says I'm in there for such a brief moment of time I don't know if anybody can recognize who I am which I thought was really interesting because everybody knows Mr. McFeely with the hat and with the jacket, but do they know who David Newell is, who played Mr. McFeely, who was also Fred Rogers' um, communications director, too? So, right. Um, it, it, it's one of those films, and you made a comment about going to the subway. When people would see him in Pittsburgh, they would sing to him because he was he was what we believe Pittsburgh is, what it was, and what it should be, because we emulate our lives in a lot of ways through Fred Rogers, which is kind of interesting. But uh, I, I was I, I was kind of uh, intrigued about the movie. I've been waiting to go see it, and then I started listening and reading this book that uh, I'll be talking about here in a couple months, 
and I'm going, I really don't want that image to go away. But if, if Tom Hanks plays Fred Rogers as Fred Rogers and not an interpretation of Fred Rogers, I think we're in good shape. I think, yeah, and I think you will you will find that. And and Matthew Reese, who plays the journalist, I thought was spectacular. Chris Cooper plays his father. I thought he was fantastic. All of the performances are just lovely. And um, and last May I had Francois Clemens on the program, who oh, played nice. Officer Clemens. Um, and yeah. it was even before we knew what the movie was really about because we didn't see anything. And uh, Francois had some nice things because they contacted him about Fred and everything else because a lot of the former uh, performers on the program have doing been doing some type of a press tour, not just to promote uh-huh. that movie, but to pre- promote the two documentaries that were done beforehand. Right, which are just which are just marvelous. Yeah, and yeah, and particularly Francois is so great in that documentary. Um, yeah, well, I can just say that I've got family in Pittsburgh and they're all completely wonderful and I'm sure they would have been wonderful <laughs> even without Mr. Rogers but uh, that's the, that's how they grow them in Pittsburgh. Yeah, that's, that's what I keep saying. So mm-hmm. another one that's taking place very close to this area and I did not know about the story because it takes place south of where I'm sitting in West Virginia which is the movie Dark Waters. Yes. Dark Waters is one of three movies opening up this month that are based on real-life stories about heroic lawyers. And since I'm a lawyer myself, <laughs> and, and one of the reasons I became a lawyer was because of the great lawyers in movies like Atticus Finch and To Kill a Mockingbird, I, I am inclined toward that. But yeah, uh, the DuPont company uh, was making Teflon, and the chemical that they used in making the Teflon got they they dumped it into the water system of West Virginia with catastrophic results and a lawyer who had been representing DuPont and other chemical companies switched sides uh, when he found out what was happening and sued the DuPont company and Mark Ruffalo who is an environmentalist in his day life uh, took on this role and, and produced the film uh, Tim Robbins is in it and uh, it's it's a very powerful story. And I understand that there's a few politicians in West Virginia that aren't very happy about it because it doesn't. Of not. It, it, it makes it doesn't the, make them look good. Exactly, it doesn't make them look good, and it's making the what the, the what they gist of it was that they were making the citizens look like dullards that they didn't know any better. They were just um, just walk going along like sheep or lemmings. And I, I don't think that's I don't think that's a fair characterization because after all it was this it was the citizens who came to find a lawyer to do something right. about it and also um, you know the company lied to them uh, which uh, was exactly why they got into so much trouble you're not allowed to do that you're not allowed to lie to people about what you're doing um, so but but you know they believed what they were told they believed that it had been tested and that everything was okay. Uh, when they saw that it was not okay, believe me, uh, they were angry. I was very involved. really surprised to see that Anne Hathaway's in this. I was really surprised to see that she was in it, too. I don't know if she was in it because she cares about the issue, uh, but she plays uh, she plays the wife, uh, who is a lawyer herself, but who is, during the period of the movie, um, not practicing as a lawyer. She's staying home with the kids. Okay. And she's got kind of one big scene, but other than that, she does not do much in the movie. How about Mayor Winningham, which I didn't know if she was still acting. 
I have loved Mary Winningham since she was very young. She, you know, when she was making movies like, uh, uh, you know, with the Brat Pack. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I think she's tremendously talented, and she's and she is, and I still think of her as being young. So it's shocking to see that she's <laughs> not. But uh, yeah, she's always great. So that's that's really interesting, and one that I've I've heard a lot about, and someone said I had to go drop everything to see it, is Knives Out. Oh my goodness, <laughs> I was yes, that was definitely on my list to talk to you about. Knives Out is a throwback to those great old sort of Agatha Christie movies where there's a big old nutty gothic house and a bunch of greedy relatives and the rich guy who's. Uh, uh, the one that everybody's trying to get in good with is killed and everybody's got a motive and we, and at the end of the story the detective gathers everyone in a room and explains what has been going on and I love those movies you know if you think about Agatha Christie movies like uh, And Then There Were None um, Crooked House you know those are tremendous fun and Ryan Johnson uh, who's always got his own take on things. He's probably best known for doing the Star Wars movie, um, uh, but uh, he also, before that, he made a kind of a 1930s crime drama set in a contemporary high school called Brick. Mm -hmm. He made Looper, which was a different kind of a take on a sci-fi time travel type movie. And um, and now he's got a different take on this kind of classic genre, and it is wild. It's got an all-star cast, uh, and uh, including Jamie Lee Curtis and Daniel Craig and uh, Christopher Plummer, who plays the murder victim, and uh, Don Johnson, uh, Michael Shannon, uh, Lakeith Stanfield, one of my absolute favorites. Um, just and and it got it has so many twists and turns. I've now seen it twice, and I began to sort of look and see, sort of pick up, oh, I could have looked at that clue, I could have looked, you know, that would have maybe been something to pay attention to, but I promise you will not guess the ending. Okay. And you won't tell it to me either, will you? I will not. <laughs> so this evening before I came on with you, I got something in my email, and I didn't even know they were making a true sequel to this movie. But the, the trailer came out this week for Ghostbusters Afterlife. Yeah. I don't have a very good feeling about well, that one. I was, I was fine with the last Ghostbusters, the all-female Ghostbusters, which I thought was unfairly criticized. I thought it was actually a ton of fun. And uh, particularly if you see the cut that was not theatrically released but has been released on DVD where they – added in some of the deleted footage okay. um, including a really wild dance number uh, I'm sorry to say that I thought Chris Hemsworth kind of stole the movie from everybody else uh, even though it had a lot of talented women in it but I felt like you know we've, we've done it and I have no idea why they want to bring back the old gang well, and I, do another Ghostbusters I think it's interesting though because what I saw and like I said I just saw it before I came on that it's his granddaughter it's Egon's granddaughter that they moved to his house in the middle of nowhere, which is must right. be where they kept all the equipment and where they right. took all the ghosts in right. this underground well. And she finds it. And I'm going, this could be very interesting if they handled it right. And I, I think the trailer myself, even with Paul Rudd in it, 
it actually looks good. And I believe that Bill Bill Murray's doing a narration in there um, whenever the kid finds the uh, Ecto-1, the old car. So right. I, I don't know. I, I, I'm one of these nostalgia guys because mm-hmm. I, I grew up watching those movies and all of us in high school wanted to be Ghostbusters and everything else. And I'm thinking, I know I'm the audience they're going after because of, of the age and trying to remember that and trying to relive our childhood a little bit. So I'll wait to see what happens on that. To me, that's going to be a good drive-in film. Well, I hope so. I, you know, I'm looking forward to it. Jason Reitman has made great films and he's made terrible films. Uh-huh. <laughs> so uh, I'm crossing my fingers that this will be one of his great ones. Um, so what else is coming out right now for the holiday season that, that uh, maybe isn't... Well, you missed a little tiny independent film that you've overlooked called Star Wars. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really miss it, but go ahead. Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker. Finally, forty-three years later, we're finally getting the last of the original sequence of nine. And I'm a huge fan of Oscar Isaac. I love okay. Adam Driver, who's having the year, best year of his career. And um, and so and I you know it's got they've got some you know last scenes of Carrie Fisher uh so I'm somebody whose goosebumps uh go get completely out of control when I hear the Star Wars music so I am very much looking forward to that that's coming up we also have one called Bombshell do you know about that one no I haven't heard about that one Bombshell listen to this cast you've got uh Nicole Kidman Charlize Theron John Lithgow Margot Robbie in the story of the Me Too moment at Fox News with Roger Ailes. You know what? I did see that. I saw the commercial for it the other night, and I was going, I didn't know they made a movie about this. I thought it did. I I mean, have you seen it yet? Yeah, I have. And I thought it was excellent. If you just even watch the trailer, which there's there's no dialogue in the trailer. It's just the three women in in an elevator. Uh, you will see. Uh, you will see that this is uh, a movie that is uh, unafraid. Uh, they're they're really taking stuff on. Uh, you know, the movie's had a little bit of criticism, I think, because uh, but people really are not understanding it. They're saying, "Don't make these women into heroes." Believe me, nobody's a hero in this movie. Right. Um, although you could say the lawyers, the lawyers are, once again, the lawyers are doing a pretty good job. But, uh, but I think that um, that's not the point of the movie. This is not uh, Aaron Brockovich. You know, this is not Norma Ray. This is a movie about power and abuse and how that affects people, the trade-offs that people make. You know, we've all had the experience of working with a bad boss, but we needed the job or we wanted the job. And... Um, what do you do about that? What kind of compromises are you willing to make uh, for yourself and for other people? And I thought it was very smart, very well done. And, of course, you cannot do better than those three actresses. That's interesting. I mean, unfortunately for me, that's one of those ones I'm going to have to wait to till it goes to a streaming site because I well, have. These days, that's like, you know, it, three months. Yeah, you're right. Because I haven't noticed that on any of the theater marquees around here, but it does look interesting. And I'm surprised um, we haven't heard anything from Fox News about how they're being portrayed. 
Well, they're very busy. <laughs> well, there is some stu- some minor stuff going on in the news right now, but all right. Now I'm going to mention one that looks terrible. Okay. And one that I've that I've seen and really loved, and that is really a Christmas movie. Okay, the one that looks terrible. I'm sorry, people. Cats looks oh, awful. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> I'm going. I'm going. I I I I I can't understand why they felt the need to make it into a motion picture. I really can't. I, I, it's a huge mistake. Huge mistake. And here's, I'm going to tell you right now, one one change they could have made that would have saved it. And that is, I understand that it was a monster hit on Broadway, uh, broke all kinds of records, went on for decades, everybody loved it. But the theater experience is different from the movie experience. If they had just made one change... I think they could have made it work. If they had made a change and said, this is going to be a movie about people putting on a production of Cats. Okay. Then we would have said, we would have been willing to suspend disbelief and say, okay, I will see Taylor Swift put on a cat outfit and dance around, and I'm okay with that. (laughs) But you cannot ask us to pretend that these people actually are cats. The James Corden. Thank you. And it just looks... (laughs) Judy Dench, you know, it it looks it looks like it's going to be a legendary train wreck. Rebel. I mean, I think Eddie Murphy is happy that Pluto Nash is no longer going to be kind of the go-to reference for what were they thinking. I mean, they have Rebel Wilson in there. They have. Yeah. Um, let's see. <laughs> I mean, it's, oh, Idris Elba. It is just unbelievable who they got to do this movie and it's like how did you convince them that this was a good idea i have no idea and they when they talk about it they're like oh i couldn't wait to do it oh please let me do it i don't it it, it, you know i'm gonna go because it's my job but i'm not telling anybody else to go well and the guy the director at Tom Hooper also did Les Mis or Les Miserables yeah. and also yeah. the King's Speech and Les Miserables if you could sit through the whole thing was actually a very good movie well it would have been a better movie if they had somebody who could sing better than Russell Crowe thank you very much but other than that it was a good movie <laughs> but the thing okay. about that was is that they weren't dressed up as animals I guess no they were human beings <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Now we're going to move on to something that I feel very, very passionately in favor of. Okay. But before I tell you what the movie is, I'm going to tell you that I make no pretense of any kind of objectivity because Uh, Little Women is one of my favorite uh, books of all time. I've seen, you know, every version of it. And I was really holding my breath about, you know, whether whether they, they could do it again. And Greta Gerwig has done a gorgeous job. And Shersha Ronan is tremendous as Joe March. And uh, I, I, you know, I, it's not a word-for-word recreation of the book, as it shouldn't be. That's not what a movie is. But in terms of understanding the spirit and the heart of the book, it couldn't be better. I just loved it and timothy chalamet oh my goodness uh he is uh as uh, movie critic dana stevens said on slate he is the loriest lorry that ever was 
when I saw the commercial for this, and by the way, everybody, you're listening to us on WMCK.FM, also on FAYA TV Channel 77 on CUTV, California University of Pennsylvania, and italknet.com. When I saw the trailer for this, I was actually impressed because it looked like it was it had a different i don't want to i mean it had a different theme to it It had a different feeling to it than previous ones because in, in some ways it seemed a little bit more contemporary well yeah i mean it it, it that's because it i mean it is good it's made now now interestingly nobody saw it but earlier this year there was another version of little women that was brought up to the present day so instead of fighting in the civil war mr march was fighting in the persian gulf and oh they really were skyping with him instead of letters and i thought that was pretty good uh, uh leah thompson was the mother and i thought it was fine but this movie uh people have been saying that she made it more contemporary every word in the movie is either something that Louisa May Alcott had in the book or in one of her other books or in her letters okay. when, when, because she was a very strong feminist and she, in all of her books, she always had these very strong, tough female characters who are tremendously independent who love their husbands and their children and their families but who wanted to have careers and insisted on uh, making their own decisions and talked about that a lot and so every bit of it is from her books and is is of her her um, of her frame of mind, and so yeah, I thought it was I thought it was just terrific. And as I said, Saoirse Ronan, uh, in my opinion, she should get the Oscar for Best Actress this year. Very interesting, very interesting. So, what are we looking forward to for twenty twenty? Oh my goodness! Well, first I have to we have to say a couple more movies that are coming out. Okay. This. This month, okay? Uh, so Clint Eastwood's new movie, Richard Jewell, is coming out. That's another one with a real-life um, lawyer, hero, uh, played by Sam Rockwell, who is wonderful in it. And uh, this is based on the true story of the security guard who discovered the bomb uh, at the oh, near the Olympics and uh, in Atlanta and was then wrongly accused of having planted the bomb himself. And... Um, and it's about what happened then. Uh, and um, Clint Eastwood made a good movie, but it could have been a great movie. He just there's a there's a part of the movie where he's just a cranky old man yelling, "Get off my <laughs> Give lawn!" Lot. You know, he he just goes way, 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 way over the top. And so um, I'm sorry about that, but as I said, Sam Rockwell is great. The guy who plays Richard Jewell is great. Uh, Kathy Bates plays the mother, uh, and she's wonderful. So that's another one to keep an eye out for. Sounds interesting. It, but did did because um, Clint Eastwood to me it seems like in any movie he's done recently there's a political agenda in it. Did what, did there seem to be one in this one? Absolutely. Okay. Um, the the hero lawyer has got a bumper sticker in his office that says. I would rather trust a terrorist than the government. Ah. So it's subtle is what I'm saying. Okay. Okay, I got you. I don't know if that's subtle or not, but I got you. No, it's not at all subtle. Then another movie I want to talk about that's opening this month that's really spectacular is um, a movie called 1917 uh, that is about World War I. Okay. 
and it it's uh, made by Sam Mendes, and it takes place in one long continuous shot the entire movie. As a uh, two soldiers are told to take an urgent, urgent message, um, they they you know if they didn't have cell phones, they didn't have you know carrier pigeons. They if you needed to get a message to another commanding officer, you had to send a human being there to deliver it, and right. it was an urgent message to prevent them from going into a trap. And we just follow them along that path as they have one terrible thing happen to them after another. And you will just take a breath at the beginning of the movie and you won't let it out until the movie is over. It's really well done. So is it, as you said, one continual shot? Yeah, it, it appears to be. I okay. mean, they really have done that. It's, it's they That's physically impossible to do. But Roger Deakins, who I think is going to get the Oscar for Best Cinematography for this movie... Um, uh, he he made it look like one continuous shot because that's impressive. This... That is that is really yeah. impressive to be able to do something like that. It it really is, and it just it just makes you feel like it's happening to you. So it's very 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 well done. Wow, that's very impressive. Um, so what else are we looking forward to? All right, now you asked me about next year. Yes. Um, it, every year, one of the things we all look forward to the most is what is Pixar up to, right? Right. And Pixar's got one called Onward with two guys that we know from superhero movies, uh, Tom Holland, and, who plays Spider-Man, and Chris Pratt from Guardians of the Galaxy uh, in a movie called Onward that looks like so much fun. It's about two brothers who are very unalike, and they live in a world where magic happens and, and uh and they are able to bring back their late father for one day, and they have an adventure with him, and it looks really, really good. And then Disney, for some reason that is beyond me, uh, other than money, of course, they are doing live-action versions of some of their animated classics, so we've got some more of those coming out, including Mulan. We've got the new James Bond movie, and uh, Daniel Craig will be appearing with one of the stars of Knives Out. Uh, is going to be in that with him. And you know who plays the bad guy in the new uh, James Bond movie? No, who's that? This year's Oscar winner, Rabbi Malik. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't... I, so what's the new Bond film about? Uh, he's a spy. Well, yeah. <laughs> and there's some, some urgent thing that he has to I'm get. I'm sure. I don't know. I know the big controversy that I read last week online was is that the font they used for the movie was the same font from Love Boat. So it was I like... I know, isn't that funny? <laughs> God, really, we have nothing else to worry about except the font. Um, I know, but ever since that Saturday Night Live skit about the font from Avatar, yes. you know, with Ryan Gosling, which I thought was so funny, um, we just saw the trailer for the new Black Widow movie. And what's interesting about that movie to me, it looks quite good, and I'm very excited about it, but... Uh, the sister of the Black Widow that we got a glimpse of in this movie is played by probably the actress who's had the biggest year this year. We ne No one ever heard of her before this year. This year she's done amazing work. Her name is Florence Pugh and uh, she's in Little Women. She plays Amy, the youngest March sister, and she does she does more with that role than anybody has before, including Elizabeth Taylor, who played it in the June Allison version. Oh, okay. Uh, and uh, and um, I think she's uh, she's going to be amazing. 
this year. She's uh, she's going to be a huge star, and we're going to see her in this action movie with Black Widow. One that I'm particularly looking forward to, one of my favorite books of all time, is David Copperfield by Charles Dickens. And there's a new version of that coming out, created by the guy who did the TV show Veep. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. For the HBO special with uh, Julia Louise Dreyfus. Yeah. And so this is going to be Dickens like nobody's ever seen it before. But I think it will also be very respectful of the original material. So looking forward to that. we got the new Wonder Woman commercial uh, that just came out. Uh, and uh, she's now in 1984. So she was last time we saw her, she was in World War One, But now she's in 1984 and in Washington, D.C. And we had a lot of fun. That's where I live. We had a lot of fun in Washington because they brought back some old signs and stores and things from 1984 for when they were shooting here. Oh, that's cool. And uh, everybody um, everybody enjoyed the little trip down memory lane. We've got some sequels coming out next year, including the new Top Gun movie with uh, Tom Cruise returning. I, I still can't see how they're going to pull that one off. I, I really don't. But there's a lot of, 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 of uh, older women right now that are getting very excited about that film. <laughs> That's the nicest way I can put it. <laughs> My wife being uh, one of them. Um. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I feel the need for a little less speed this time. <laughs> um, now, what what are some of your favorite holiday movies? Now that we've established that Die Hard is definitely well. One other thing I want to ask you, and I looked at this, you were talking to me about Disney films, because I wanted to ask you about this whole Disney Plus streaming thing now, where yeah. Disney has the control of everything. But yeah. I see that there's a movie Disney's recently releasing in June called Soul, about a middle school yes. music teacher dreams of playing yes. a legendary New York jazz club, The Blue Note, and it has yeah. uh, Tina Fey in it, Felicia Rashad, and I'm going, Wow. I didn't even know this was on the horizon. And Jamie Foxx. Yes, they released a teaser trailer, and I thought it looked awesome. I thought it looked absolutely fantastic. And so I'm very excited about that. And I will say, without any shame, that I was a person who was up at 6 in the morning the day that, uh, I guess it was November 12th, that uh, Disney Plus appeared and watched The Mandalorian first thing that morning. And how many times have you, and how far are you in the series right now? I have seen four okay. episodes so far, so I'm not quite up to date. But I have I enjoyed it very, very much. I think it's not a spoiler anymore to say that Baby Yoda is a great, great Real, new character. Really? There's a Baby Yoda in the film? I would have never guessed. <laughs> it's freaking everywhere. I know. I know. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, uh, so I enjoyed The Mandalorian. I enjoyed the live-action uh, Lady and the Tramp. Uh, and I have definitely enjoyed watching some um, some of the old classics, uh, which look, you know, they've all just, the color just pops. But I'll tell you one thing that I think is very funny on, um, on Disney+. Plus. They've got a very... A series of very short little films starring Forky from Toy yes, Story I... 4, Tony Hale, and where he just asks a simple question and uh, and tries to get an answer. And I watched the most recent episode today, and I just about passed out. Guess who the voice talent is on the question of what is love? They've got Carl Reiner, Carol Burnett, huh. 
Mel Brooks and Betty White. Oh, that's classic. That's that's classic. Um, whenever Disney Plus did open, I was dragging my feet, but we got it anyhow. I got it the, the first day. And I didn't watch The Mandalorian. I didn't watch the live-action Lady of the Tramp. I went online, and my middle son and I watched The Love Bug. Oh, Herbie Rides yeah. Again. Yeah. Herbie Goes to Monte Carlo. <laughs> and then we watched Herbie Fully Loaded. I love my son those. Used to say Ocho, Ocho. <laughs> <laughs> he would see him. He I, would see him I love those. I love those films, and I have them on yeah. the VHS. I have the DVDs. Yeah. Now it's just convenient. I can pick up a remote, hit a button, and everything's there. So, yeah, yeah. we've. I, I I see it being a big thing. I think it's going to hurt Netflix and Amazon Prime and Hulu and all these other ones. But it was all 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 coming. That it was going to eventually I think happen. I the one that's going to hurt the the, the one that will hurt the most is uh, is Apple. I think that really? people who already signed up for Netflix are not going to quit Netflix, and people okay. who already signed up for Hulu are not going to quit Hulu. But uh, and people are signed up for Amazon Prime, so they can get free shipping. Right. So that, you know, but but I I think people will say mm, I'm not going to get both Apple and Disney Plus. Apple's got some new programs that look pretty good, but Disney Plus has got the archive. Oh, oh yeah, my goodness! It's it's just amazing. However, I I have been told that to be able to find some of the going back way back in the catalog, that you have to do some finagling in their search engine to find them, but they're there. They are there, and uh, yeah, I'm waiting for them to bring back the entire Mickey Mouse Club. Oh, uh, I see. I want to. I want to see and Marty. I want to see them do that, too. And I also want to see, because my oldest son is now 19, um, mm-hmm. when he was born in 2000 and 2001, his, my wife and I would stay up with him at night and watch Disney Channel. And we would watch the old classic programs that they don't show anymore because they were showing the catalog of the library they had then of Pecos Bill. You saw all this uh, stuff and it's like, exactly. I can't wait mm-hmm. to see this stuff again. Yeah, me too. That, I love, I love those old cartoons and, uh, and I'm, you know, I did watch, they, they did have one of my favorites, which is the uh, Mickey and the Beanstalk. Yes. Um, it just doesn't get any better than that. And of course, they got Steamboat Willie, and it's just, um, yeah, they're, they're it's wonderful. And I'm looking forward to. It. I've not watched yet because I've been good and have not jumped the gun. My husband wants to see them with me. Um, the series that they've got about the Imagineers, and there's a great new book out, by the way, about the history of Disneyland that I'm having so much fun reading. Oh wow! So. Yeah, I, I'm a big Disney fan, and you just cannot beat that content. They've got their own stuff. They've got Marvel. They've got Star Wars. Yeah. You know, I could I could stay home for a year and watch that. <laughs> I don't I don't know if you'd be able to make it all the way through in just a year, though. I, <laughs> I don't I, think I, so. I think you'd have a difficult time. The other thing that I'm waiting for, and um, someone else posted this online. I wish I remember who it was because it was a great thing. They were talking about the Disney films like we're not talking holiday films right now, but they were talking about the Disney films that were around 1968 to around 1975. 
Um, you had oh yeah, like the computer wore tennis shoes. Right, those movies, those Kurt Russell movies that w- that the we monkey's uncle. Right, the 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 movies that we remember, but you don't see yeah. anymore. And yeah. I'm and waiting that to darn s- cat. Yeah, oh, I love that one. And uh, the the uh, was it the the North the Avenue ducks. The North Avenue Irregulars. I mean, you had some North gr- Avenue Irregulars, right? And and the the Ugly Dachshund, and uh, yeah, those were great movies. The Apple Dumpling Gang. The Apple Dumpling Gang the rides Apple again, Dumpling gang, right? With but, Don Knotts. And and I'm going, going. Are they going to open those up too, or are they just going to forget about them? Because Disney was going through a very tough time in that time frame, and they were just putting out anything they possibly could. That's absolutely right, and uh, that that did, did and spending very little money. But it's some um, some yeah. of the most memorable memorable movies I think that anybody would have ever seen were those. I mean, Escape yeah. to Witch Mountain. Uh, the Barefoot Executive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we oh, can... I love Escape to Witch Mountain. Yeah, it's great, great, and they even remade. I think those are the kids from Mary Poppins, aren't they? Yes, in that. yes. Yeah. And then Bedknobs and Broomsticks, and you had all those classics, too. So, again, I think it's going to open up to a new generation, at least I hope so, because they're going to find what was there before. And then Disney, like you said, making the new live-action animation films or remaking animation films as live-actions, I don't know if that's going to benefit them or not. As someone told me, when they did The Lion King, they really didn't use real lions in the movie. They still had to animate it somehow. I don't know why they call that live action. That's exactly what I've been saying all along. Why do they call that live action? There's no live action in there whatsoever. Yeah, it was still, it was, yeah, anyway. (laughs) And by the way, by the way, just to vindicate our views on that, um, even though Disney didn't put it forward as an animated film, it was nominated for a Golden Globe as animated. Really? Mm-hmm. I did not know that. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that mm-hmm. someone at the Disney office is going to rethink the way they promoted that one then. I hope so. Because you're right. It did not. They were trying to say, and we're going, really, Beyonce is not a lion, no matter what you do. Uh, and, and that is, I mean, I've seen Disney nature movies, and they're wonderfully expressive, but they don't sing and dance. Right. <laughs> Well, that's like that's like the original Homeward Bound about the two dogs and the cat. And then they remade yes. it with Dom Amici, yes. Sally Field and Michael J. Fox. I thought that was a big mistake. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, so we have about eight minutes left. We can talk about Christmas movies now. <laughs> OK, well, uh, there are a few that I want to recommend. I mean, you know, there are obviously the classics. And yeah. for me, the, the, the one thing that I will never miss every December is I will watch just about every version of A Christmas Carol. That's oh, my favorite Christmas story. And to my mind, the, the the ones that I have to see every year, the Alistair Sim version, Very 1950 good. British version, he's the best Scrooge. The MGM version uh, is just wonderful. Um, and uh, so I love that one. The Muppet version is great. The Mr. Magoo version has the best songs. Those songs are written by the same people who did Funny Girl. Right. And they're amazing. And, you know, the George C. Scott version, I, I will watch just about any version. My favorite, and I'm glad you mentioned it, my favorite to this day is still George C. Scott is Scrooge. Yeah. I thought, I mean, and Alistair Sims, which to me, in my mind, is the original. 
but yeah, uh, that's what it feels like. That's it, that's the OG. Yeah, and it's, it's it's just going back to that that whole time period. And again, it's a great story. It's a great film, and it holds up every year, which is really nice. Um, All right, another one that I like is Desk Set, which is Tracy and Hepburn. Oh, okay. And and it's a lot of fun. It takes place on Christmas. And uh, she works for a big television network in the research department, and he is installing a computer, which was the size of three buildings. It was the size of my first house, this computer that he's installing. And a very new idea is our computer is going to take over. And yet it's a very contemporary idea. Our computer is going to take over all of our jobs. Uh-huh. And tr- it's Tracy and Hepburn, and uh, it's absolutely adorable. So that's a great one. Um, and then... Uh, there's a great movie called This Christmas about a black family celebrating Christmas with all their different issues and problems and romances. And I love that. And it also has uh, a closing credit sequence that is unforgettable as the, the characters all get up and dance together. And we have to mention one that was shot in my hometown, uh, which is Home Alone. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Which I don't and, I, I don't know if other than the, the there's the few references to Christmas I don't know if people really realize that is a Christmas film, though. Oh, absolutely they do, because the very end takes place on Christmas, where they sing a Christmas song. He sees that his grouchy neighbor is being reunited with his son because of what he's done at, at Christmas, and his, his family returns, and they have Christmas together. So it's a very Christmassy, uh, very Christmassy. Um, the nativity story, you know, if you're going to celebrate Christmas, let's remember what it's all about. Right. And just to tie it in with what we've been talking about, who did I say was my favorite person in Star Wars, in the new Star Wars movies? Oscar Isaac. His first movie, he played Joseph in the nativity story. Oh, I didn't realize that was him. I'll be darned. I didn't realize that. Um, two of my favorites and one, my son does not like, um, but I mean, it's a wonderful life is always in there. Uh, White Christmas is in there, but the one I don't think, yeah. and I don't know if it can play very well on TV today, like it did when I was in kid, but I loved holiday Inn because holiday Inn <laughs> covered all of the holidays. And Fred Astaire. And that's where white Christmas, the song white Christmas was first introduced to the, the American public. And um, when you look at that one, another one, and you mentioned that's based very loosely on the Dickens story. Um, but Bill Murray in the movie Scrooged. Scrooged. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. Holiday Inn. I just, we just have to caution families yes. that there is some material that's very insensitive by today's standards. Yeah. And it happens in the month of February, just to let you know. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So uh, you just have to remember that it's of its time, but the musical numbers are great. It's interesting to me, since I'm a huge Fred Astaire fan, that it's only in the two movies he made with Bing Crosby where he didn't get the girl. Every oh. other movie he made, he got the girl. Interesting. I, I don't think I ever thought about that before. Yeah. The one and, and this is and this is what got me in trouble with my son. The one thing that I have a problem with White Christmas is not the story, not the premise. I have a problem with Danny Kay. And I don't mm. know if he's just playing the part so far over the edge or what. But I just don't feel like that him and, and Crosby are working well together because Crosby plays a great straight man. I just think the comic relief through Danny Kaye was just a tad bit too much. 
Well, I think his character is, let's face it, not a good person. Right, and yeah. And he's not a fair or honest person. And I think, and the, and the movie kind of gives him a free pass on that. Uh, I do love their rendition of Sisters. Yeah, oh yeah, me too. And you can see that Bing Crosby is actually cracking up. He's not acting. He's just really laughing. So, yeah, there, there's a lot of a lot of films out there that, uh, of course, we never even touched on, but uh, with it, that are have holiday themes. Is there any, I mean, because there are a lot of people that, because of the way Christmas falls this year, um, with work schedules and everything else, they may be lucky enough to have two weeks off between Christmas and New Year's. A list where you can find the best holiday films, or at least a list of holiday films. Well, I've got a couple on my uh, on my website. I have all of the different versions of A Christmas Carol and the pros and cons of each. And then I have a couple of different lists saying, here are some Christmas movies that don't feature a leg lamp, Tiny Tim, <laughs> or... You know, or Clarence the Angel, but but they're just really good. And another one I like that's not well known is called "Come to the Stable" with Loretta Young and Celeste Holm as nuns who are raising money. Um, the Bishop's Wife is another classic, and then one that I watch every year uh, is always on Turner Classic Movies. It's called "Period of Adjustment," and it's about uh, Jane Fonda in her very early days of her career. She's just married uh, Tim Hutton. They are not getting along at all and they uh, arrive at the home of his best friend, and it's about what happens then. It's written by Tennessee Williams. It's the only comedy written by Tennessee Williams, and uh, it is, I thought, I just think it's a great movie. Interesting. I didn't know that. And one more thing, since you mentioned Jane Fonda. Any mm -hmm. word on the sequel to 9 to 5? No, but I'm so excited about that. I don't think they've even started filming it yet, but you couldn't have a better moment uh, for that for those issues to come back uh, and uh, in a new context and you couldn't have better people doing it. So I'm very excited about that. But the only issue I have are Lily Tomlin, Dolly Parton and Jane Fonda still going to be in the workplace because yeah. they're in their eighties. I know. But they look good. They look, they do look good. They look very good, but that's the only, I mean, Dolly doesn't look her age. Uh, Lily Tomlin, Jane Fonda, they're getting there, but Dolly still looks good, and she's still performing on a nightly basis. So, she, I love Dolly so much. Her, the new podcast uh, about Dolly is uh, is just fantastic. I heard I heard that, and I haven't had the opportunity to listen to it yet. So that's on my listening list for this holiday season. Well, Nell, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. We'll have you back on in the spring. We'll talk about next summer's movies. And we'll rehash some of the ones we've talked about today. So thank you very much for joining us. And everybody, you can find Nell at her, her uh, I can speak English tonight, <laughs> at her website, moviemom.com. Nell, anything you want to say before you leave? It's just a pleasure as always. The time flies by, and I will look forward to talking to you in the spring. Thank you very much, Nell. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Nell Minow from moviemom.com, and she's also uh, writes for robertebert.com, and she's also a reviewer for Rotten Tomatoes. So uh, great to have Nell on talking about those great movies coming up at the holiday season. And yes, Die Hard and Trading Places are holiday films, just to let you know. But anyhow, I am out of here. We'll talk to you next time here online with yours truly, Bill Alexander. <laughs>